Um, I'm going to be continuing in our series through the book of Genesis. We've been hitting this since the start of the school year. I'm really excited. Well, the passage we're about to read tonight is one of the most challenging texts that we can find in Scripture, but I'll be honest with you guys, this is probably one of the few texts, I can't say few, one of the texts uh, in the whole Bible that God has just radically moved my heart and he's shaped my life. And I'm just believing tonight that he might want to kind of mess with us a little bit tonight. Is anyone okay to be messed with a little bit by the Lord tonight? Is anyone just open to hearing his voice tonight? Come on, the spirit of the Lord is in this place. So let's quiet our hearts and let's hear the word of the Lord. You can turn to Genesis 22. I'm gonna read the first 14 verses. It's gonna be up on the screen for you. But these aren't just words that we're gonna get through. This is the word of the Lord. Let's actually stand together. I want us to stand as we hear this story. Come on, let's stand in attention to the word of the Lord. Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son, Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the, word, the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he, he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not fear, or do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Stay standing and let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you tonight. We haven't come to be entertained tonight. We haven't come for an inspirational talk. We haven't come to just make noise or to fill our schedules. But God, we're here tonight because we want to hear from you. We want your word and your spirit to shape us. God, what we're asking you tonight is not to be wowed by a worship team or by a speaker. We're not here for man. We are here for you, God. So Holy Spirit, in the same way that you have wrecked my life with this passage, God, I'm asking for those who are willing tonight, 
would you mess with us tonight? All across this room, if you're just willing, if you're willing for the Spirit of God to speak to you tonight, to invite you, to challenge you, if you want Jesus to show himself to you in a new way, would you just open your hands? And I can't pray this for you, but I want you if, that's you, if that's you tonight, if you're ready to hear the word of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, can you just say, here I am, Holy Spirit. You can say your son or your daughter is listening. Holy Spirit, have your way in me. So Lord, I pray that anything that's for me and of me, anything that is of error, God, I pray that that would just go to the wayside. And Father, I pray that you would be glorified. Would you be revealed? Speak to us tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, you guys can be seated. This is an odd story, isn't it? It's kind of a troubling story. Let me catch you up on the context real quick. We jumped right into it. Genesis 1, it's the first book in the Bible. God is creating the heavens and the earth. And then in the next chapter, he creates man and women in the image of God. And then in Genesis 3, man and women, man and women, why do I keep saying it like that? Man and woman, Adam and Eve, they mess it up. They, they sin, they take the fruit, the forbidden fruit, the one thing God had told them not to do, they willingly do it. And then what we see in, in Genesis 4 is then it begins to fracture relationships. In Genesis 3, the relationship between God and man is fractured, between man and woman is fractured. And then Genesis 4, now um, Adam and Eve's kids, Cain and Abel, are, are murdering each other. Cain is literally murdering Abel. And then what we see in the following chapters is just more sin and more evil going out all into the world until God decides to send a flood to to start things over and he shows his covenantal love through Noah and then Noah grows up and then more and more time goes by and God begins to work his redemptive plan for the salvation and the life of the world by choosing a man named Abraham and he says Abraham through you and your wife you're going to have a lot of kids (laughs) And with these kids, you're going to become a father of many nations. God is launching his plan to save the world through this man. The only problem is, with this guy named Abraham, is that him and his wife are extremely old. (laughs) And uh, I don't know too much about having kids quite yet. We're about to have a baby next year, which is pretty awesome. Uh... If there's, anything, if there's anything I've learned so far, though, is that it's like kind of harder to have kids when you're like old, like 80s, 90s. And that's where Abraham and Sarai find themselves. But God is faithful in his promise after years and years of waiting. God does the impossible. He works this miracle. He's faithful to his promise. Abraham's son, Isaac, is born. Then Genesis 22 comes. This moment where Abraham is probably chilling, enjoying just the faithfulness of God until God comes to Abraham with a question. Not really as much of a question, but a test. A test. He's saying, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, this this little child, the representation of my faithfulness and my promise to you that I fulfilled, and I'm asking you to give him back to me. Now, we know the end of the story. You know, I just read it all because I just didn't want us to think for the next, like, 20 minutes that, Isaac was going to die because that would be really a tough, tough cloud over our heads. But Abraham doesn't know that. All he knows is that God spoke to him and that God has tested him. 
And this is a really disturbing story, but the reality is, friends, is like, if you've read the Bible for any amount of time, if you've kind of dug through the other pages of the text, you'll kind of find that this, this thing that God does of testing his people actually is kind of all throughout scripture. We see it here, but even think about the story of, of Noah, where God says, hey, I'm going to like send a flood that's going to wipe out the earth, so I need you to build like this massive boat. No one's going to get it, but I'm testing you and I'm asking you, be obedient to what I'm saying, even though it makes no sense. Or I think about with Moses, and Moses sees this burning bush, and God is like, hey, Moses, I'm sending you. Go tell the most powerful man in the world to let my people go. Like, that's kind of a, a test right there. Or I think about in the New Testament how Jesus tells his disciples, hey, if you want to follow me, this is what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. As in, like, you're going to have to, like, give your life away. Like, your life is going to be full of, like, hardship and, and testing but this is what it's going to look like to follow me. Then all throughout all of the the New Testament, all the epistles, there's these constant references to testing and to suffering. We just talked about it at a desperation conference this past summer. Who was here at desperation conference last summer? Oh, let's go. Let's go. Are we talking about count it all as joy, brothers and sisters, when you face, when you face trials. Another translation say testing and suffering of many kinds. Peter says this in 1 Peter, that we're going to, as the church, as the people of God, if we've committed our life to following Jesus, we are going to run into testing. I have a good feeling that a lot of you have already felt like you've experienced this in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you've been following him for a day. Maybe you've been following him for a week, maybe for a year, for years. Or maybe you're like coming in tonight and you don't follow Jesus and you're like, why would I sign up for this? Don't worry, keep listening. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. But I want to start with the fundamental question tonight. Why does God test us? <laughs> why does God do this? Like, why does God ask difficult things of us? Why does God call us to surrender? Now, what I want to say to us tonight is, is that I don't have all the answers. I'm 26 years old. I've been following Jesus for a good while, but I don't have all the answers. Pastors, we don't know all the answers But what I want to share with you tonight is just some things that I believe as I've kind of dug through the text, as I've even just kind of lived through some seasons in life of walking with Jesus. These are some ways that God has used this text to challenge me. But what I'm about to talk about tonight is not like the comprehensive, the only answer, the bottom line. This is all that it is. But this is what I want to share with you tonight. This is what I believe the Spirit of God is leading us into tonight. So if you want to, I would encourage you, Pull out your notebooks. We're going we're gonna to get real tonight. We're going to go after it tonight. So why does God test us? I believe that testing kind of reveals things, right? Testing kind of exposes things that maybe we didn't know were there or that we knew were there, but we didn't want to acknowledge it. Like, like kind of like think about, maybe think about school for a second. I know we're, we don't want to think about school right now, but we're going to think about school. Kind of think about like the tests you take how they're maybe sometimes the great revealer. <laughs> uh, things that you know, things that you thought you knew, but you definitely didn't, or things that you know you didn't know, and the test confirmed that you really didn't know it kind of thing. Does anyone kind of relate with what I'm talking about right now? Tests are the great revealer. My parents did this weird thing growing up. I was thinking about this with testing. They would do this weird thing called the breath test, <laughs> where as kids, they would like be like, hey, did you brush your teeth? And we'd be like, yeah. And, they, and then they would, like, get down on our level and be like, okay, like, breathe in my face. And it's like a breath test to see, like, if the breath was good, like, then we brushed our teeth. I'm not doing that with my kids because 
breath be dank sometimes, man. <laughs> Speaking of breath, this is this is just an off note thing. Has anyone ever been prayed for by someone with like just awful breath before? <laughs> My friends, be obedient. When the Lord tells you to pray for someone, pray for them. But maybe like pop in a quick mint before you do it. Because sometimes it's so hard to receive. Like if you ever had it, it's like, Hawking, I just had a word for you, brother. Like I just, and in the Holy Spirit, share. And you're like, my God. <laughs> that was not in my notes, but I was thinking about the breath test. Tests are the great revealer <laughs> in our lives. They open things up. And I believe it's no different when God tests his people. When God tests his sons and daughters, I think he's wanting to show something. He's wanting to reveal something. So I believe there's three things that God reveals when he tests us. And the first thing is this. God is revealing our allegiance. Write this down. God is revealing our allegiance. There's a reason why we sang that song tonight. Believe it or not, there is a little bit of thought put into the songs we sing on Wednesday night. Allegiance. I think God is testing Abraham's allegiance in this moment. When God tests us, he's, he's, making, he's maybe making a reminder to us that he desires and he requires all of us. Does anyone know the greatest commandment in this room? What's the greatest commandment? Go for it, Lucy. And strength. Yeah, that's great stuff. Notice how Lucy didn't say, oh yeah, Jesus said, love God with some of your heart, some of your soul, some of your mind, and 25% of your strength. No, no, no. All. If you've been with Pastor Tim for any amount of years, what's the Greek word for all? Man, you guys are so good. You guys have great memories. God desires and requires all of us. And we see this all throughout his word that God is not interested in sharing our allegiance. He's not interested in sharing our worship. He's not interested in, in kind of being a part of our lives. God wants all of us all of our hearts. And maybe we're like sitting here and hearing that and being like, wow, it sounds like a little much or a little extreme. Or maybe some of you feel like that sounds almost like insecure of God. Maybe it sounds like that insecure, like boyfriend or girlfriend. It's like, you have to spend every minute with me and you have to always think about me. Like, but get that mind, get that picture out of your mind with God. That's not what it is. Think about it this way. And if you've been under Pastor Tim or Pastor Matea for any amount of time, you've heard this example, but it's so true. So I'm going to do the exact same thing. Think about it in, in terms of marriage. <laughs> On March 18th of 2019, I got married to the most beautiful girl named Preem Valentine. And now she's Preem Mendoza, thank God. But can you imagine, in that moment, Larkspur, Colorado, March 18th, 2019, my wife is, my future wife is walking down the aisle and we're like holding hands and Pastor Andrew Arndt's like right here laying down the gospel and how that connects to marriage. And then I look at Preem in the eyes and I just say, Preem, I give you 50% of my heart today, 50%. And then she's like, baby, why only 50%? Well, I'm like, well, because I don't know, like the NFL is also a big deal in my life. Dallas Cowboys are 2-0. The Bears are 0-2. Trash. <laughs> that was just for some of you in the room. Preem, I vow to give you 100% of my heart except for when I'm tired and hungry and, and you say something that annoys me and when I feel like it, I'll give you all of my heart. That would be a really awkward wedding for everybody. And they'd be like, this guy is not ready for marriage. I don't think I was ready for marriage, but God's grace has been very sufficient. But that's the idea, is that God created us and he wired us for covenantal love. And what covenantal love means is that 100% of me, all of my allegiance, all of my love, all of my worship is undivided towards you. 
towards you. And God isn't up in heaven all insecure and be like, you better love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and if I see you, no. God loves us that way first. And then he invites us into that kind of love. This isn't a try-hard message tonight. This is saying, hey, did you remember, like, have we forgotten that God has loved us this way first? And he invites us into that same kind of love. And here's the reality, friends. Here's the reality. Take the spiritual lens out for a second. Have you ever noticed in this life that our greatest joy in life comes when we're all in on something? Like it's really hard to enjoy something when we're divided and, and distracted, but the greatest joys that we experience in this life are when we're all in on something. Think about like, like the things that bring you the most joy. It's, it's not when your attention's divided. It's not when your uh, um, focus is divided. I, I think about when I did CrossFit for a season and then Aspen was beating me in every single workout I was doing and I got insecure, so I went to the YMCA just worked out with old people. <laughs> and then I saw Aspen on a Saturday morning at the Y, and I was like, leave me alone! <laughs> just trying to be healthy! <laughs> Julia was there too, and it was frustrating. They were definitely squatting more than me, and that was very frustrating. But before they showed up, I was enjoying it because I was all in on it. <laughs> like CrossFit is that thing where it's like, it's kind of hard to do CrossFit, like, like half-hearted or like with some of your attention. It's like, Either you go all in or you don't. <laughs> but the, there's nothing like finishing like a difficult workout. Or for you, for you guys maybe in theater, maybe you've experienced that. It's like you've given your life to like every dress rehearsal, every uh, like run through. You're staying like late into the night at the theater. And when you finish it, like when you finish that show or when you finish like that run with that cast and that crew, like you're exhausted, but you went all in and there's this like sense of like joy and like, accomplishment that comes. I think God created us that way because he created us and wired us to say, hey, your greatest joy is when, not when you're half-hearted, not when you're divided, not when you do something because it's convenient, but when you give all of yourself to something, there is joy that is found. That's the kind of allegiance that God calls us into. All of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. God in this moment, is testing Abraham's allegiance. Abraham, you can say that you love me and you trust me, but what happens when I ask you something difficult? Where is your heart's allegiance? The second thing that God tests is not just allegiance, but attachments. God's testing in our lives reveals our attachments. I'll I'll define attachments in this way. You can write this down. I would say an attachment is a valid but disordered desire. It's a valid thing, but it's a disordered desire. So for in the biblical example, there's nothing wrong with Abraham loving his son. He should. (laughs) And God gave him this gift in his son. He waited years and years wondering, God, are you going to come through on this? And God does. And that's why even in in, in verse two, God says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and sacrifice him. God God is getting at something here. He says, Abraham, I know that Isaac means everything to you. I know he means everything to you, but God is exposing a potential attachment inside of Abraham. I wonder what our attachments are in this room tonight. 
if you're like, oh, I don't know what an attachment is, think about the things that you get anxious about. Our anxieties tend to be a really good revealer of our attachments. Think about your attachments this way. As long as I have fill in the blank, I'll be okay. Or I would be at peace in my mind and in my heart if I had fill in the blank. Attachments are those things in our life that we exhaust ourselves trying to lay hold of. And as soon as we get it, we're exhausted. And as soon as we get it, we're anxious that we're going to lose it. That's what an attachment is. You have them. I have them. But the invitation from God for us tonight is saying, actually, if you have me, you have everything. That's what attachments reveal. And I know this because it's not just a concept. It's not just like a thing that we preach about. It's something that I've wrestled with. It's something that I've had to live through. I think 2020 was a lot of things. COVID was a lot of things. But I know for me and probably for a lot of people, it was the great exposing of attachments. When everything is taken away, when everything that you're used to and that you relied on and things we took for granted were gone, all of a sudden you're like, wait, who am I and what do I stand on and where is my comfort and and where is my peace? And I know for me, like God used, God used that season of my life to really expose my attachment to even just what I do, to worship leading. Uh, for those of you who don't know kind of some of my story, I grew up at this church. I loved being here and, and singing the songs that were being written. And I felt from a very early age, like four years old, like God calling me to lead worship. And so I spent like so much time doing that. I actually met Preem in this room right over here, leading the kids worship day after or week after week. And, and going after God. And then I went to ORU and kept leading worship. And what I began to notice was like this, this had all of my thoughts, all of my attention, like all of even like my prayer life and my relationship with God was so built around like ministry and worship leading and what I could do for God. And I remember in 2020 when, when kind of everything shut down and all of a sudden I wasn't leading worship anymore. <laughs> Like this thing that I just gotten used to being very much so a part of my life, the thing that I was passionate about, the thing that I like felt like I dropped everything for just to get better at and, and, and to get more reps at, and the thing that I felt like, I, like the Lord was using me in. Before long, in 2020, was the great revealer that I had put my identity and my value and my worth in this. I'm valuable to God and I'm valuable to people because of my worship leading. Like, people know me, through, like, my friends are from that. Like, this is, like, my career, and, like, this is my calling, and, like, this is my everything. I wouldn't have put it that way all those years ago, but that's exactly where I was at. And so then I found myself day after day just being at home, not being able to lead worship. And I remember the Lord using this story, and he's saying, Victor, I want you to put worship leading on the altar, Like, if you never led worship again, would I be enough for you? I remember that day. I remember day after day coming to the Lord in prayer, opening the scriptures, and he would lead me to Genesis 22. And at the end of each of my times with him, it would come back to that. Victor, if you never led worship again, would you be okay? Would I be enough for you? And I think there might be an invitation for us in that tonight. 
Could it be that the Father is saying your name and saying, hey, if you never had that, or if you never experienced that, or if you never arrived at fill in the blank, would I be enough for you? I think in our Christian minds, we know the answer in our kind of Christianese, oh, of course, God, but really, if we were honest with ourselves, maybe God is more of a consolation prize. Oh, yeah, like I have nothing, but I, at least I have God. <laughs> at least I have Jesus, my buddy, <laughs> my friend. God sees me. <laughs> that was from my small group right there. God sees, he sees me. But friends, God loves us enough to expose and slowly burn away all of our attachments until all we need is him. God loves us enough to do that. God loves us enough to test us so that our attachments can be exposed for what they are. And by the grace of God, we can see, oh wait, this thing will never satisfy me. Or this person that I've just banked my happiness and my peace on, I'm not gonna find it here. And I think if some of us were really honest in this room, like we know that, but it's really hard to let go. It's really hard to let go. But friends, what I found, even in those moments of wrestling with God, I remember it felt like day after day, I was just saying, okay, God, I surrender worship leading back to you. Okay, God, I surrender worship leading. When when a month had gone by and I hadn't led worship, okay, God, I I give this to you. Okay, when two months have gone by, okay, God, I I give this back to you. Time after time, when I found myself falling back into into the trap of holding on to the attachment of what I could do for God rather than just receiving his heart for me, what I found day after day of surrender was joy. The joy that God has for us when we let go of the attachments. When we finally let go, when we take the bold step and say, okay, God, I'm going to give this to you, I began to experience a joy that was deeper. I began to experience a joy that couldn't be taken away on a good day or a bad day. I began to experience a joy that was deeper than my situation. I began to experience that that my greatest joy was in God. All of a sudden, my, my soul, like internally, I felt at peace. Like, you know what? I actually don't need that anymore. Like, actually, God, like being with you is actually better. And it's one of those things that I, I could try to explain to each and every one of you, like what that is like and what, what, what it feels like and what that experience is like. But at the end of the day, Jesus is inviting you to experience it. I can try to describe this like amazing meal as much as I want to, but at the end of the day, until you taste and see that the Lord is good and that there is no good apart from him, then it's just gonna be a concept. But maybe the barrier in between us and experiencing the greatest joy in Christ is the surrendering of our attachments. When God tests us, he's revealing our allegiance, our attachments. And last thing is this. God's testing reveals the abundant heart of God. Full disclosure, abundant was just for the third A. That's really why I use that word. (laughs) The point of this story is not Abraham's obedience. 
we can go through the story and be like, oh my gosh, okay, so like Abraham got up the next day and, and he went through with it. And oh my gosh, like God came through. Like, wow, Abraham, you, you've got some faith that I don't have. Abraham's obedience is, is amazing, but that's actually not the point of this story. The point of this story and where we're landing tonight is that this story is actually about the outrageous, generous, abundant love of God for us. You see, this story is kind of meant to upset us a little bit. I know for me, as a future father, in a few months, reading this story, I don't know what I would do if God asked me, hey, whatever this child is, we're going to call this kid Meshach. (laughs) Chandler Wilburn still lives in this building somehow. (laughs) Man is miles away, but his his, his spirit is among us somehow. I don't know. (laughs) Meshach. God's saying, hey, I want you to give Meshach back to me. I don't know what I would do. This, this story is meant to make us wrestle. Like, God, like how, how could you ask for this man to give his one and his only son? But here's the thing. Abraham gets to keep Isaac, doesn't he? We read till the end of the story and we see right at the last moment, God steps in. And he says, I'm not like the other gods who demand blood for sacrifice. I'm not like the other gods. I'm actually going to give you my one and only son. Think about the parallels we see in this story. Abraham is asked to give his son. But God the Father is the one who ultimately gives his son for the life of the world. Think about how Abraham and Isaac have to climb the mountain of sacrifice. Think about how Jesus climbs the hill of Calvary, Golgotha. Think about Isaac carrying the wood up the mountain and how Jesus Christ carries the cross on his shoulders. Isaac is spared, but God, Isaac is spared because God provides a lamb. Friends, you and I, we have been spared. (laughs) Because God provided a lamb. The death and the punishment that you and I deserved in our inability to be obedient to God in the way that Abraham was able to be obedient in that moment, our disobedience, our sin, God says, here's my solution. I'm going to abundantly give myself for you. When our allegiance and our attachments that are really just a code word for idolatry, when we fall in love with our attachments and our allegiance is elsewhere away from God, you know God's solution to that wasn't shouting to us from a distance. It wasn't being angry with us. It was him giving himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, how deep is the Father's love for us? How deep is the Father's love for us? God's love for us is abundant. God's love for us is abundant. Can I have the worship team come on up? You see, God isn't asking for our allegiance and our attachment in a way that he's not first willing to do that for us. In the same way that God is asking for covenantal love from us, he first gave it to us. And Jesus, 
laying down his life, showing I don't have an attachment to my life. I'm laying my life down for the life of the world. He went first. God went first. 